0: Please do sit down. Really grateful to John and uh, Grace for choosing such amazingly um, accurate and very uh, um, perceptive uh, songs for this evening at such short notice as well. Thank you ever so much uh, for that. And once one sense, I must admit I feel a little bit sorry for you if you're only able to come Sunday nights and not Sunday mornings, because Sunday morning we were looking at this incredible miracle and this life transformation of this man born blind and this positive courage that this guy came out with. And what do we get tonight? Oh dear, poor old Peter. Well, what happened at... Easter, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, I can't for the life of me who, remember who I was in conversation with um, this week who was re, uh, retelling me this uh, story that they'd overheard or something, two ladies recently having uh, this discussion about when it was that, uh, that Jesus was born was it uh, at Easter or was it at at Christmas? And the more um, uh, enigmatic of the two was very convincing in saying, no, it was definitely uh, at Easter. And these are grown uh, women, we think, surely not in our age. Well, increasingly, that is going to be uh, the case, isn't it? People not fully appreciating what happened then. But we know what Easter was all about, don't we? Easter eggs. But alongside that, we're going to take a journey uh, more seriously to the cross. And the message of Christmas is to be found, is it not, in Easter. But what is it that we look at at our Easter time? We we had a lovely time around a communion table on Good Friday uh, this year. Sometimes we do that and uh, sometimes uh, we don't. But for those who are unable to get to that, they may well be working or away with family. Uh, We've got like the Sunday before where there's, you know, all the the cheering as Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry and Hosanna, Hosanna and all the rest. And the next time that we all get together, Jesus is being celebrated because he's come back to life. And you think, well, there's a middle bit that we've kind of missed out somewhere. Because he, where, did, well, what about, where did he die? And we know some of the familiar readings that go up to that. But this is the word of God we've got in between the triumphal entry and Jesus coming back to life. And it struck us as we were thinking about uh, different themes to look at. Um, I've never heard a series that's gone through what happened in between the triumphal entry and indeed Jesus coming back to life. So that's what we're going to do over the... Uh, Quite a few Sunday evenings, Grace will have a clue how many, because she gets advanced notification through the honeycomb, you see. But uh, follow that through in Matthew's Gospel, and, uh, and we're starting today with Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus. One, since it's this quite slow journey we're going to take with the Lord Jesus, uh, as I say, through Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's going to be our main focus, but uh, the, the brilliance of having different Gospels is that we can draw on the wealth of information from other Gospels, isn't it? That, which is really helpful, because it gives us a little bit uh, of a different angle or perception as to what was going on. Uh, anybody into watching Wimbledon? I don't know why I'm doing an impression of somebody with a tennis racket, as if you don't know what Wimbledon's uh, all about. But uh, anybody seen the Wimbledon? And I guess like other sort of sports things that's going on, don't look upset because you haven't seen Wimbledon, Dee. It was only a light-hearted question, purely for illustration. And as with lots of other uh, sporting occasions, you then get the panel of experts at different times that that give their slant on what happened during the game, as to who played well, what they could have done, what they did do. And each expert, in inverted commas, will will be, be bringing something slightly different. They've all seen the same match. And they're all telling the truth. But they've got a slightly different angle because of the way that they perceive it. And that's the beauty of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. There's a wonderful oneness that we get. Uh, that highlights the the unity of the scriptures, but we see some some nuggets from elsewhere that are not uh, described by each of the gospel writers. But we're focusing mainly through Matthew's gospel. So Matthew 26, beginning at verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of of me for it is written i will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered who knows what would have gone through the disciples minds on that occasion there he was with those uh, those the close core of people I was trying to think of how we would feel as as maybe a a leadership team around the Lord Jesus. And and Jesus was in the chair, running the meeting, and just before he closes the meeting, he then says, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. And I'm sure many of our team would think, no way, this very night I'm not going to fall away. And that's, understandably, how Peter reacted. When we put it in the context of our own team here, we think, well, I'm not going to fall away today. But that was how specific Peter, uh, Jesus was uh, with the uh, disciples then. Obviously, it was a specific occasion that was occurring. But we can discover, can't we, that if Jesus says that something is going to happen, the one thing that we can be sure of is that it's going to happen. think back to uh, earlier in his ministry when he said let's go over to the other side of the lake mark chapter 4 verse 35 well what was going to happen well there was that incredible storm and of course in the midst of the of the storm we could just press the pause button and think oh well maybe he was wrong or maybe jesus has got another plan or whatever but no what jesus said was going to happen did happen we know What happened? As I look around, yes, that's a safe thing to say for an audience that we've got tonight. That Jesus calmed the storm and what he said was going to happen, indeed, happened. Regardless of the storms that we go through, if God has promised you particular things based on his word, we may well not be able to see the fulfilment of that while we're in the storm. But if God has promised, God will fulfil, because that's the sort of God that we worship Peter obviously should have accepted um, what Jesus said, just like we should accept uh, what Jesus says. Jesus was God after all, and he is God. Do we ever argue with God? Mm, Yes, of course we do. Of course we do. And here was Peter reacting, wasn't he? He was also saying that what was about to happen was going to be a direct fulfilment of that Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah chapter 13. Verse 7. And we see that same uh, thing occurring uh, today. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. In two of the churches that I've been a, a part of uh, in the past, within the history of the church, of the, of the, within the history of those two churches, uh, a fallout with the pastor has resulted in those two churches having a complete split overnight and numbers halving overnight. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And we know because we know of the story here about them all fleeing, that's exactly what occurred here. They all fled and we'll come on to that in a few moments time verse fifty six reminds us of that if you've got your Bibles uh, with you. and I would remind you to, bring, to encourage you to, to bring your Bibles as well, uh, particularly as we're going through this on Sunday evenings. So Peter uh, spoke uh, before he thought about what he said. In one sense, of course, it was how God had made Peter. That brashness and passion God used to his glory in other ways, didn't he? But it's very easy for us to kind of reflect that back, isn't it? As a defence mechanism sometimes. This is how I am, so this is how God's meant to be, as if that's uh, the final say in the matter. We need people with Peter's passion and forthrightness. Yes, we do. But people like Peter need others around them to every now and then say, Peter, don't say that, and to tread on his toes, just as he's about to blurt something out without fully thinking something through. There's also at least a little uh, pride, isn't there, within Peter, when he says here in verse 33, even if all fall away... On account of you, I never will. In other words, I'm better than everyone else. So even if these lesser Christians, these second-rate Christians, will fall away, I won't. I never will. Surely Jesus is so pleased with Peter's complete commitment. Shame Peter hadn't the opportunity to watch the bomb film. Never say never again, because that would have been so appropriate for him, wouldn't it? Within seconds, we see Jesus responding to Peter in very honest fashion, but in a way that's going to keep Peter's feet firmly on the ground. Peter, not only will you be no better, but this very night you will disown me three times we can fall so quickly can't we Peter was right there with Jesus one minute full of commitment full of passion (sniffs) gone the next conversation that I had with someone yesterday very faith filled that person is a completely opposite place 24 hours later And we've been that person before, haven't we? Everything is going great and our faith seems so secure. And then something catches us out that we've not been anticipating. And it's as if someone's pulled the rug from beneath our feet. And something occurs that really dents our faith. Peter, again not engaging his brain, assures Jesus that he is very much mistaken and will indeed never disown him. Verse 35, after Jesus says, Peter, I tell you that um, Jesus answered this very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times, but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Mark's account states that Peter insisted emphatically, chapter fourteen, verse thirty-one. The meaning that we get there, and I like the way actually, as John was was reading some of uh, Peter's words, there was that sense of I don't know this man. And he thought, yeah, you can really feel that sense of emphasis, and that absolutely rightly came through. John's account of this uh, this same passage here. Uh, His account uh, suggests that Jesus reflects Peter's own words back to him. Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Chapter 13, verse 38. I'm only guessing, but I sense that Peter would have felt very uncomfortable at that kind of question. Events take over. But Peter's words will catch up with him, as we know, because we've already read the second half of the script. Not that Jesus is in the same business as we might be a little bit later on in the story. When the cock crows, na 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 I told you so, I told you that was going to happen. We kind of feel a bit smug, don't we, if we've had a conversation or a debate with someone and we've got proven right. Yes! Husbands and wives, that little thing... Jesus' prediction coming true brought deep conviction from Peter. We then got a little bit of a pause in the passage as Jesus prays, prays in Gethsemane. He's betrayed by Judas and arrested. Peter and all the other disciples deserted him and fled. We read in verse 56, Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin where he's questioned by the high priest, the chief priest, the elders and the teachers. And we're going to be looking at all of those passages over the the coming weeks. But Peter had then crept into the courtyard and we're towards the end of uh, chapter 26 now as we look to that passage that John read out uh, for us. And Luke tells us that Peter followed at a distance. At least he followed. At least he was plucking up, at least, let's give him a little bit of credit here. He may well have fled, but maybe there was something there that, that was deep within him thinking, I want to get a little bit close, but he was staying at a distance. Luke twenty-two fifty-four, And here... He was spoken to on three occasions. And again, it's great to look at the different gospel writers drawing in their their little clues as to who was spoken to and what was said when. The first we're led to believe was a servant girl, a servant girl most probably of the high priest. She noticed that he had been with Jesus. We don't know how that. But Peter denies this and lies. Strike one. Then there's another girl that had been seen, uh, that had seen him with Jesus. He denies it again with an oath. That's a very strong emphasis. That was the first of John's "I don't know the man." Remember when we were kids and used to do that thing of cross my heart and hope to die type thing? That stupid sort of promise that we made. This was a very s- serious form of, of an oath that Peter would have been declaring. Strike two. And then we read of those standing there. It's now about an hour later, one of the Gospel writers indicate. And there's uh, someone highlighting that Peter's accent gives him away. Maybe he's been heard in conversation. Maybe he's trying to catch up with the latest as to what's, what's occurring. Does anybody know what's going to happen? Can you tell me where, what, why, how? John specifically notes a relative there of Malchus. Now, Malchus was the guy um, who uh, had had his ear cut off by Peter. So that's an interesting connection there. And there's that question raised about, yes, surely he was with him because his accent gives him away. But the tension is mounting all the while with Peter, and then he suddenly loses it. And he now starts swearing at them strike three Luke 22 verse 61 we then read these words the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter directly after the cockerel cried out how would you like to have been Peter at that moment dig a hole don't you think in the, in the ground Poor Peter, what must he have felt at that moment? There is power in a look, isn't there? Jesus had said what was going to happen. No, I'll be with you always, I'll follow you, etc, etc. No, seriously, Peter, you're going to disown me. And before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. One, two, three. Cockle doodle do. I'm not going to do an impression of a cockerel this evening. And then the Lord looks at Peter. Matthew then adds, And Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. But we've got to add in what Luke put in. There's power in in a look. I can remember a look of disappointment and disapproval that I would get, it was only very occasional, but from my dad. My mum was the sort of, the bouncy, shouty kind of type, and she would probably be okay with me describing her like that. My dad, I can't remember him really ever telling me off, but I can remember his look. Now, I don't know who that person has been in your life. Could well have been a boss, or an uncle, or some kind of parent figure. Someone that you've respected, And then you know that you've let them down in some way and they look at you and their face is filled with disappointment. How I felt on the receiving end of that look was possibly somewhere near the awfulness of what Peter must have felt. Having denied the Jesus that he said he would never deny. And just in that space of a few hours, he'd done it. Not kind of like years down the line, Have we ever denied the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, this week we had... um the school retreats for St Osmond's, and uh, some of you may well have prayed for that. If you did, thank you for that. It is a very hard day on the Monday and on the Thursday when we've got eighty kids on the Monday, eighty kids on the, the Thursday. And one of the uh, one of the things that uh, that Simon got the, the kids to do after lunch in that kind of the, the being tempted to be sleepy session is we're looking at at some of the changes that are going to occur in them moving from Year Eight up to Big School. At parties. And so to move about a little bit, and Dave with all his kids' work experience will be understanding this, to get them moving around a little bit, there's questions on the screen, and they have to either move to that end of the room, or to this end of the room. So a question would be something like, you're really looking forward to uh, meeting and having new teachers. If yes, you go to that end, if no, you go to that end. And of course, there's, there's a kind of like a split. You're really looking forward to getting more homework. Yes. That end, no, that end. So you can see, imagine this sea, this swarm going to that end, apart from, of course, the really big two or three 13 year olds that think we're going to pretend that we're going to look forward to homework. Well, I thought we'd do that kind of exercise this evening based on whether or not we've denied the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll have people saying yes going to that end, and people saying no going to. How would you feel? How would you feel if we were to do something like that? Because it's so easy for ourselves to look at Peter and think, what a big head. He thought he knew it all and look how he went wrong. Dear, oh dear, how could he have done that? Would we go to the end of, yes, actually, I have denied the Lord Jesus. And run the risk of other people looking at us thinking, who would have thought? Dave Enright. (laughs) Be the first there, <laughs> or would we actually go to the other end and risk that sense of people thinking how arrogant, or would we stay in the middle to see where most people would go? Because as, as the kids on the Monday and the Thursday, that tended to be with a lot of questions what they did. Then, when the ringleaders made a choice, that was then, then the, the sort of the kickstart of, of the swarm going one way or the other way. When we put it like that, maybe makes us feel a little bit more fidgety in our seat about whether or not we've denied the Lord Jesus. It's all too easy, isn't it, to speak with the same confidence of Peter. But the reality is that many of those who have once acknowledged Jesus as Lord are now no longer following him. That's a fact. In actual fact, in terms of uh, uh, teenagers who are following Christ uh, now, if you've got a, a group of—I've um, got to get this statistic right. This is the danger of trying to remember a statistic. I think this is right. A group of teenagers that uh, that are all um, committed Christians, within ten years, fifty percent of them would have given up their faith. Fifty percent. So you can imagine a particular youth camp. We were looking at the Stephen Gillum camp where we were uh, this morning. The DVD there. And a lot of those young people that love the Lord Jesus Christ, that's fantastic. That work is fantastic. But were there to be a DVD of those same young people, even if all of those at the camp were there proclaiming Jesus as Lord, statistically, apparently, if they're teenagers, in ten years' time, they'll be nowhere. That is a tragic uh, statistic, isn't it? We would have had people here who have been baptised or have been members here now are, for whatever reason, not with us. Some would have maybe denied their Lord in their day-to-day lives, not merely by their not admitting that they were Christians. That's another fact. And that's quite sad. We can, of course, then pause and think, thank goodness, I'm in the clear then. Because I'm still here. But let's... Look a little closer. Do my words ever act as a denial of my knowing the Lord Jesus Christ? That's quite a piercing question. Well, it was for me as I was piecing this together, I'll be honest. They do, you see, if I speak in a way that is contrary to his word, as they show that he doesn't have full rule over my life. That's one of the challenges. I don't like presenting that challenge to you because I was very uncomfortable when I was having it presented to myself this week. What about my thoughts? Do they ever act as a denial of my knowing Jesus as Lord? Same principles apply. What about my actions? Same principles apply. What about my lifestyle? What about my attitudes Bit by bit, as we explore every area of our lives, I can imagine one by one, all the people that were indicating, "Noah, I don't deny the Lord Jesus Christ, one by one going from this side to this side. Each of us, brothers and sisters, fail our Lord, don't we? Because we're all sinners. Yet I'm sure at face value, if we were to be asked the question... Do we deny the Lord Jesus? No, I don't. And yet let's peel away the outer layer of the onion. And maybe the truth is a little bit more uncomfortable. We don't simply deny Jesus by not coming to church, do we? That's narrow-mindedness and arrogance. Maybe each of us as Christians should ask for God for help in not denying their Lord Galatians 5, verse 24 to 25, said, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So I wonder what this passage says to you. You can think about that as you maybe uh, uh, reread it a little bit later. The good news is this isn't the end of the story. And even if we're thinking a little bit about some of the the things where maybe we have not outwardly denied the Lord Jesus Christ, for example, if someone says, are you a Christian, Roger? My answer is yes. That doesn't mean to say in and of itself that I've never denied the Lord Jesus. Because there is a fuller part of my life where there's been areas or occasions where I have. And I say that to my shame, not as a, a brag or boast at all. Peter was one of those people, but it wasn't the end of the story. John chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. After now, Jesus has come back uh, to life, and we read this threefold question. Many of us will know this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do you truly love me more than these? Question number one. Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Question number two well, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. The third time, he said to him, Do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Maybe wrapped up within that reflection of knowing all things. Peter was going back to that time when he denied the Lord the three times, thinking, I really do love you, Lord, but okay, look, you know the lot. Okay, I was a bit out of line back then. I've learnt my lesson, but I do love you, Lord. And Peter is dusted down, having learnt his lesson, and then given a place of leading God's people in the future. A few things as we close that strike me here, but there's a couple of other lessons as well from Peter which I think are rather wonderful in the way that God acts. Firstly, that we should trust God's word. If God has spoken, then bank your life on it because he is faithful. Secondly, I think it's worthwhile throwing in by means of application that we should think before we speak. Peter could have saved himself a lot of pain, couldn't he? Had he not blurted out, and even though he got that reminder from Jesus to say, Peter, I'm telling you, tonight you are going to disown me." No, 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 he still doesn't learn. He needed somebody to give him a bit of an elbow in the ribs. Think before we speak. But thirdly, we should never be those people who presume that we will never let God down. Pride comes before a correct answer. Peter, when he wrote to the church, wrote some interesting words. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and verses 5 and 6. He said, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. The one who had the big issue with pride has been sorted by a touch from the king and now is teaching the importance to God's people of humility. He'd learned the hard way And however we learn lessons, don't we want so much to pass those lessons on to others in a way that would prevent others' pain? We've done that with children, or grandchildren maybe, kids we look after. And lastly, maybe we should ask for God's help to not deny Jesus. But what happened with Peter? Well, his fear did it not turned indeed to courage. His fear turned to courage. Acts chapter 2. This is not that long later when there's all the explosion of God's spirit being poured upon the church and people now not knowing what on earth was going on. And I reckon even if there was a bunch of Pentecostals there that day, they wouldn't have really understood what was going on. But then Peter in verse 14 stood up raises his voice and addresses the cl- the crowd it's peter who had turned from that fearful man standing at a distance the fearful man who had fled to them being prepared to make a stand and say to all listening this was to do with jesus but also when he was being persecuted in acts chapter 4 a couple of chapters on and verse 8 As he's there being um, challenged by the religious leaders of his day, it's Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, who then says to them these words, Rulers and elders of the people... If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men and women by which we must be saved. And he goes on, verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to teach at all in the name of Jesus, but Peter... Along with John, replied, You judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What a transformation. The bungling Peter who is fearful becomes the Peter of courage that leads God's people onwards. The Peter who was the big head with the issue of pride becomes the humble Peter who seeks to love his Lord, having learned, we hope, the lesson. And that's the lesson for ourselves, isn't it? That we do learn the lessons that come to us week by week, day by day, from God's Word. That where we then fail, where we get it wrong that we accept that sense of rebuke from God's word. Not that we get all tetchy or all defensive, as if we know it all, but rather that we recognise that God disciplines those he loves. And it's in love, therefore, that we come to be recipient of his word. Let us all, by God's grace, remain teachable. Let us pray. Father, as uh, being someone who's very often uh, blurted things out, I've got a lot of empathy with the character of Peter. Look forward to meeting him someday. And hearing him share some of the uh, things that maybe he would now kick himself, that he said or that he did, but at the same time to maybe discover what you did in that man's life that transformed him. Yet even as we wonder and ponder that, we know the answer in advance. This man, Peter, received a touch from the king. And we can be those who are able to receive a touch from the king. Father, forgive us when we feel we know it all. Forgive us when we think we're better than anybody else. Forgive us when we have already predicted that we're going to be here until our dying day following you. Because we're so reliant on your grace for that. In and of ourselves, we can do nothing. We need your help. We need your strength. And Lord, as we even pray as we do right now, some of our hearts are breaking because we know that there are those that we loved, those that we know, who were once so passionate for their Lord Jesus that now are just not in the same camp or place anymore. God, we pray that they might receive that touch that Peter did, that sense of renewal, that sense of a fresh invitation to love again. Lord, may they see that your arms are forever open. May we, as your church, in being the arms of Jesus be always willing to accept back into the fold those who've drifted, those who've failed, those who've got it wrong, those who've denied. For there but for the grace of God go away. Father, we thank you that we can ask these things in Jesus' name and we thank you, Lord God, for your word to this end. Amen. Amen.